I'm Joanna Roach, the Executive Director of the Green Spa Network. Thank you for tuning in to Vital Stories, which is brought to you in part by Nantucket's NPR station, WNCK 89.5. In today's episode, we will speak with Leah Segetti, author of Green Enough and leader of the online community Momovation. So welcome, Leah. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate being on. It's an honor. So Leah, you're based out in California. Yes, I'm right outside of Los Angeles in a little city called Simi Valley. And I've lived in Los Angeles pretty much my whole life, but I've also lived in two other countries. I did a a semester at the University of London, so I've also lived in London. And I also did a summer teaching English in China (laughs) at a university in Xi'an. So even though I am a California girl through and through, I also have been all around the world. So let's start with telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, I do quite a lot. And some days I don't even know how to answer that question because I do so much. I'm an author. I mean, you obviously, there's my book, Green Enough, Eat Better, Live Cleaner, Be Happier, All Without Driving Your Family Crazy. So I have um, my book. I lead a community online called Momovation. Um, Momovation has been around for just about 10 years. I've been working in social media for about 13, 14 years. I've been there kind of since the beginning when it was just a couple of people on Twitter, you know, just getting organized. My communities are based on healthy living practices and wellness practices for women, primarily women with children. And so I focus on families. And my passion is helping families avoid disease, helping them avoid cancer, helping them avoid all the things that they can get based on toxicity in the world and endocrine disrupting chemicals and all these things that we kind of need to know about. As a woman today raising a family, it's not as easy as it used to be. It used to be that we kind of knew what we were doing. We had people to, you know, help us. And now there's so much coming at us at so many different directions. How do you make sense of all this? And that's kind of where I step in to really help women understand what's important when it comes to green living, what is important for your family, what are things that you can kind of like look away from and say, eh, that's not so important, but what's really important? What's the crux of it? And then as you're doing this, as you're changing your family and making things healthier, how do you do it without going that can I say and I can't say bad words here, can I? No. <laughs> the other thing is, you know, what I'm known for in being in social media is I'm very much myself. I'm eccentric. You know, um, I do cuss like a sailor. I'm going to try not to do it on NPR, but that's just kind of who I am. And in my book, it's reflected of that. And to me, you know, speaking in colloquial language like that is, is really about democratizing information and democratizing science. And if you can speak to people in, in language that they understand and in ways that they understand and in ways that are fun, then they're going to be more more open to digesting information. And so the group that I have is, I, I, would, I would say we're a bunch of like non-judgmental greenies is what I would say. Women in the community come from, you know, light green to deep green. They come at it from all different ends. And, and it's just a place of non-judgment and just support and et cetera, et cetera. So that's my community. Another thing that I do is I do the ShiftCon Social Media Conference, which is a conference for green bloggers, wellness bloggers, fitness bloggers. We all get together once a year. There's about four to 500 of us. It's spans over three days. We bring in, you know, scientists. We bring in in between 50 to 80 brands for an expo. We have like six keynotes, 24 workshops and panels. It's this big event and it's kind of a way to get all of the people in the network and all in the industry together to have a conversation, to network with each other and to go out and do great things again. And then after that, I have, you know, I do a lot of consulting across the United States and actually all over the world. Next week, I'm going to be in Israel for a whole week. 
I do consulting. I work with brands. Really, at the end of the day, my job and how I see it is to change the grocery store and change the way brands create and formulate products so that the average American is safer when they consume things. Wow. <laughs> I know, I know. I also have, I sit on the on boards of nonprofits. I work with a lot of independent scientists, and that's one of my favorite things in the world. I mean, some people fangirl over things that are happening entertainment-wise, you know, and they turn on the TV and they see celebrities and singers. I'm a dork. I don't know any of those things. I fangirl over independent scientists and the work that they're doing, <laughs> and I really love supporting them. And I also have a lot of different professionals that I work with, and I'm just a consummate learner. I have a master's degree from the University of Southern California in communication management. Primarily what I majored in is taking really complicated things and bringing them down to a level that's digestible for people to understand. So the exact major that I had is what I implement today every day in social media. And I've been growing this big community and just actually just helping women and reaching out to women all under the umbrella of safer living, green living, avoiding toxic chemicals. You know what? I am your fan. So <laughs> thank you. I, I, thank you. I could not be more impressed with all the things that you're doing to make our world a better place. And thank I'm you. really grateful that you're talking with us this morning about what it is you do and how important it is. So how does the location of where you are in the world impact your thinking about what's happening on the planet? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting you, you asked that question, and I'm going to answer it, but you're probably not going to see my answer. It's going to come out of left field. So I grew up in Los Angeles, and, you know, that's one of the places to live, you know, and, and where everything is moving and shaking, and there's so many things going on. And I've had the opportunity to do so many amazing things from working for the mayor of Los Angeles and his press team, you know, to having access to Hollywood and entertainment when I went to USC and hearing celebrities speak at USC and all these amazing things from just living in Los Angeles. However, the other part of it is my father worked for the railroad. He worked for Southern Pacific Railroad. And some people that love the railroad, like fangirl all over my dad back in the day because, you know, engineers, you know, railroad right. engineers. But the other part that people don't think about is the contaminants of working in the railroad. And because my father worked on the railroad, he was exposed to asbestos which is a killer and which is actually in the news a lot today because it's coming back. It's kind of coming back around. My father was exposed to asbestos. He died 12 years ago. So he died from mesothelioma. So when I think about the location of where I live, I think about the rolling hills of Simi Valley and all the open spaces. And then I look and I think about Los Angeles and the air pollution in Los Angeles. And it's mirroring some air pollution in places in China, it's so bad right now. And then I think about my father and the contaminants that he was working around and what eventually made him sick. And most people that know my story understand that when my father died, that was the one thing that really jolted my life, that changed me forever and had me focused on healthy living and how do I make my family healthy so that this thing doesn't happen to my family. And the other thing that happened after my father died, my uncle died and my aunt died and another uncle of my died. And it just ripped my family apart from us being this huge extended family. And we were so close. And there was like about 30 or 40 of us together all the time to being everybody scattering all over the United States because, you know, this death just rocks, you know, a family. And that changed me. But I'm also grateful for it in the same sense. Because of that change, I never would have worked on the issues that I work on today. You know, that really changed my path. 
so that I was looking into things that what causes cancer? You know, what are those things that causes cancer? And then realizing, well, it's not just cancer that we have to worry about. It's all these other things that are just as bad. And I wouldn't have had that understanding. I wouldn't have had that passion. I wouldn't have had that charge had all of this not happened to me. And it, again, it's all based on the location where I live and, you know, where our family is and just location, 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 you know, mm-hmm. but it's, that's how I come about it. When I think of where I live and the location that I live and how that impacts who I am and what I do. Yeah, I get it. It gave you the framework through which to explore all of this other work. It gave exactly. you context. That was not the answer I was expecting. I actually was thinking about how close you live to Loma Linda and how Loma Linda is part of the Blue Zones. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, like, was she involved in that? Did she know about that? <laughs> no, I'm actually more involved in Rocketdyne. I don't know if you've ever heard of Rocketdyne. There's the Santa Susana Field Lab, which is about four miles from my house. And that's where a partial nuclear meltdown happened in 1959. And it was basically covered up for 30 years. The public didn't know about it until 1989. And that is an issue that I'm heavily involved in. There's still a cleanup. There's state agencies in California arguing with the public, you know, about to clean it up, to not clean it up, how much to clean up. And that was, oh, geez, since 1959. So that's an issue that not everybody knows about. But that was the worst nuclear fallout we've ever had in the United States that no one ever knew about that happened right outside of Los Angeles. That will blow your mind. Yes. Just just Google rocket dine. (laughs) I will. I will. Wow. and be wow. ready to have your mind blown. Yes, okay. I do. I do a lot of work in the city uh, right now. You know, they they utilize groundwater in the city of Simi Valley, and I really do not want them to utilize groundwater three miles from a you know from that. That's one of the local issues that I work on um, for the city, and I'm really happy to do that because I'm able to bring together my scientific advisors, whom one of them is a professor at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, right by you, mm-hmm. and um, his name's Dr. Tom Zeller, and he's one of the world authorities on perchlorate and. That's one of the issues that we have, um, that they're testing perchlorate in the wells. So, you know, it goes back to water and how, you know, water is life. Water is everything. We can't do anything or live without it. So I I think water and, you know, the air we breathe and and those types of issues are really important to me because at the end of the day, what they do is they impact your family and your children primarily. Like if you're living in a more heavily polluted area with, you know, poor air quality or poor drinking water, what this really does is it impacts your children. It, you know, it steals IQ points from them. So it's like the difference between someone being able to go to UCLA, but then, you know, they're going to CSUN just based on the testing. You know, they could have been smarter, but they were exposed to all this stuff at a younger age. So, you know, those issues are really close to my heart because they go back to, you know, people don't know when they're exposed, you know, and I really feel like one of my jobs as the dork that I am <laughs> that cares a lot about all these scientific things that other people are like, la, 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 I can't hear you, is to protect people, even though Mm -hmm. they don't know I'm there, even though they don't know that I'm, you know, advocating for them. I I really, really am am the protector of families. That's really how I look at it. Mm -hmm. Yes, I get that. And I love it. I feel like you should have a superhero cape that (laughs) says that on there. I think that's amazing. Um, Can I have a cape that's red and green and then not get made of because it's Christmas? Because those are my two favorite colors, but I can never put them together. (laughs) I'm sure we can arrange that. Um, Thank you. (laughs) 
So there's three words that I think are really tied together that are important. And I think that, you know, they're a lot of times the driving force behind people who are really connected to what motivates them to do good in the world. And they're balance, inspiration, and gratitude. So how how do you how do you feel about those words and how do they inspire or inform the work you do? Well, I mean, balance, I love that word and I hate that word at the same time. I think it's a love-hate relationship with balance. Um, balance is to me it's important to have, whereas when I hear the word balance, I feel like it's a calming sensation where it takes you from going 50 miles an hour where we're in this modern society where we're having so much thrown at us at such a fast pace. It gives us the ability to come down to the ground and just get more grounded and um, feel like you're you know, part of everything again instead of just flying away. But at the same time, the flip side of that word is it's like another word to worry about. You know, I'm not getting enough balance in my life. Ah, geez, where do I do that? And how do I do that? You know what I'm saying? And so it goes from one sense where if if we talk about it, and it is something that is important to another sense, throwing something at women that they have to then, again, figure out, okay, what are the steps to finding balance? You know, how do I do it? And, and then it just kind of, like, gives you that extra level of, like, anxiety of, I'm not feeling balanced here. I'm not feeling balanced. Um, I've, I've been, I, I don't know, I'm a Libra. I'm always balanced. You know, I'm just, I, the way I see it is there are some days where I'm working a lot, and there's some days when I'm playing a lot. And there's some days where I spend all day cooking for my family, and other days where I'm spending on, you know, spending with clients on the other side of the world. And the way it works out for me is I just do what feels right in my heart at that moment. And it's typically what I need to be doing. So that's, that's how I deal with balance. I'm also really fortunate to have a lot of help so people ask me, how is it that you can work from home, you know, raise your three boys and have this huge career? I have a lot of help. I have my mother-in-law who lives, you know, uh, three blocks from my house. And I have my mom who lives six miles from my house. And I have so much help with the kids that it's, it puts me in a unique situation to be able to do more, right? Then when it comes to inspiration... Inspiration is really easy for me. Inspiration, I get that from everyday challenges that I have in my home. Because, because I know so much about a lot of these issues, when I find something challenging for myself, I know that if I'm if I am getting aggravated by this, it must be the aggravation of every other woman in the world who's having to do a smidgen of what I'm doing. And so I'm, I'm inspired a lot by the challenges that I get in the world, you know, because I think challenges are not... They're, they're not think, I don't really see them as bad. I see challenges as opportunities. And I really, really do see challenges as opportunities. And so I sit there and I'm like, okay, how do I wrangle this beast and take him down to the ground? And then interactions with the community, the online community, Momovation, all of the women that um, I have the, the great honor to be able to help um, in my life and in my, in my personal life, those people inspire me the most because they remind me of why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I love being inspired by people around me. And it's just, again, community, community, and myself, you know, my own challenges. Mm -hmm. And then gratefulness. I'm going to say I'm super grateful for my family, obviously, because I, I would be nothing without them. But, but, but I'm also really, really grateful for challenges. And, and I'll go back to that because, you know, writing this book was basically me being challenged of, you know, having to detox my home and having to figure this out. 
and I interviewed, spent hundreds of hours, I kid you not, hundreds of hours um, with experts uh, being able to do this. And those are scientists that focus on endocrine disruption, pediatricians, and public health experts, and people that do this for a living. So hundreds and hundreds of hours, because I was challenged, and they knew that if they helped me, that I would obviously share it with the world. And that's what I've done, is I've taken my challenges and put them in a book, (laughs) and you can tell that they were challenges of mine, because in my book, there's a couple of four-letter words, and that is reflected when you have a real challenge. (laughs) I'm one of those people that in real life does cuss like a sailor, and you can, I let it fly in my book, but I will say that um, Penguin Rodell pulled me back a little bit, so what I wanted to say in here was a little bit, it's a little bit squeakier, cleaner than what I actually wanted to say, (laughs) which they probably saved me by doing that, because... (laughs) Because I do have a little bit of a sailor's mouth, yeah, um, but I, I'll keep I, it. Um, I'll keep it total PG for for you guys. I think that's also a side effect of being the mother of boys. Yes, <laughs> I, it is mother of three boys, and I'm constantly opening up the door. Get outside before you break something. I have the same challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm, but you know, I, am I mean, a it's, it's a new world where people. Uh, you know, it's 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 called colloquial language, so if you really think about it in terms of, of what it is, it's utilizing a language that people understand when they're peer-to-peer, right? And so I've taken that language, and that's how I've written the, the book. Mm-hmm. So instead of me talking down to you, I'm talking to you like we're having a cup of coffee. And, you're, and, and as you're reading it, I know you've read it, you're almost like people have said to me, and the, most of the comments I've received is, I feel like you're in my kitchen with me, mm-hmm. and I, I really love having you around. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, thank Thank you. <laughs> well, I think what it does, it makes it very approachable. Yeah. And that was the point. Yeah. Um, and and a- it took, it was really difficult. It's really difficult to write something that is as serious as it is in language like that. So I think um, it's almost like I wrote the book and then I rewrote it to make it, you know, more digestible is exactly what it was to make it more digestible. Mm-hmm. What do you think the most important thing we can do for the planet is? You know, I think there's a lot of things that we can do for the planet. Um, one of the things I think every day with everyday individuals, I think there's two things that we could probably focus on um, to make things better right away, and that is consuming less junk. And you know what I'm – everybody knows what I'm talking about mm-hmm. when, that, when I say that. You know, a lot of the things that we use for convenience sake is some of the things that are actually destroying the planet, like, you know, use of plastic. You know, do we need so many things wrapped in plastic and so many, you know, items that are just like adding to the pollution that we have in our oceans and the pollution that we have here. And and we're running into a big problem right now because China doesn't want all of our junk. We used to send a lot of our, our trash and our toxic stuff to China. And China's now saying, we got enough of it, we don't want it anymore, you know. So now we're really in the sense of, you know, especially as Americans, where we're so used to throwing things away and buying things that are one use. And it's different in other places. I have um, cousins that live in Norway. And um, I went and I spent uh, about a week with my cousin Paul. And he lives right outside of Bergen. And he lives on the fjords. It's the funniest story because he picks me up at the airport and he says, Leah, I just want to warn you that I live out in the sticks. And when he said that, he's driving me, you know, about 40 minutes out of the Bergen airport, but he takes me to the sticks, and the sticks is literally the fjords, where he has a waterfall in his backyard <laughs> that just drifts out into the water. But I learned so much from being with them because, you know, they don't use paper towels. 
they don't use paper plates. They don't use paper napkins. They open up the trash. The trash has five or six compartments in it where they have composting, they have plastics, they have this, they have that. It's just a culture where they're doing their recycling. That's just how they do it. No one told them to. That's just how they started. Um, they don't use all these things that we use, and they just use less. They buy less. They Maybe. buy higher quality things. And, and they have of less of it. Yep. So I think that's one of the things that we probably could take um, on as Americans is just that throwaway economy that we have um, is incredibly problematic. I'm going to actually ask it, say, three things. There's, a, there's another um, issue um, that we could really help with. Um, one of the things they were looking at is the air quality in Los Angeles. And they were finding that there's, there's, there's something in our air that we didn't realize was so problematic. And that's volatile organic compounds. And volatile organic compounds are in things like spray cans that, you know, uh, cleaning products, spray, clan, uh, uh, spray cans and stuff like that. And the, the toxins that are inside those spray cans that we're using are contributing to poor air quality, but they're also contributing to, you know, CO2. They're contributing to the issues that we have around climate change. And I never thought that they would actually say this, but this is one of the things that they're primarily concerned about in Los Angeles. That, and of course, the diesel trucks. But, you know, it, it's not so much the cars anymore. It's the diesel trucks and the volatile organic compounds from the everyday products that you're using inside your home. So I think if you, uh, people could change that inside their home as well, that would be a, a big deal. That would be a really big deal. That's something that they can do. If they read my book, they'll be able to do that without even thinking about it. It's already in there, but I don't talk about it in that sense. I talk mm -hmm. about it in sense of, you know, as you're breathing the air in your home, let's avoid these things because they're bad for your, your children, they're bad for you, and that's how I spin it. But it's not, I never talked about how it contributes to CO2 and how it tr contributes to air pollution, but mm -hmm. it absolutely does. Mm -hmm. And then another thing is um, uh, composting. We have a, a real incredibly, we have a big issue with soil quality um, in the United States. And it's like this in every first world country. So bad that, you know, the, the topsoil is incredibly problemsome. And we don't, once we run out of topsoil and, and healthy topsoil, basically what that means is that we need more water and it produces less crops. And so the soil, regenerating the soil is so incredibly important. One of the things that everybody can do in their home, you know, in their own home to help with that is composting. And that's so easy as like, you know, you take all of the food that doesn't have an animal byproduct in it. So you want to avoid things that have, you know, uh, cheese in it or meat. But everything that doesn't have cheese or meat in it or any animal byproduct can be, you know, composted, and you can turn that into soil for your garden, you know, and then you can, you can, you can do something like that because that's regenerative. That's regenerative, and it doesn't, it's not impacting, it's not harming, it's really helping. So those are three things that we can really do if we think about sustainability. And, and there's obviously a lot of them, um, but I, I try to think about things that I can do in my home right now to make a difference, and that's it. That's it right there. Wow. Well, you have been a wealth of information. <laughs> well, I could do a whole nother interview with you and, and I will <laughs> because we didn't even get to talk about oatmeal or cadmium. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. You want me to go over those real quick? Um, no, we are unfortunately out of time and I want to say thank you very much, Leah. Oh, it was such um, a pleasure. It's such a pleasure. And I'll encourage our listeners to go out and get your book. It's called Green Enough, Eat Better, Live, Be Live Cleaner, Be Happier, All Without Driving Your Family crazy and to visit your blog which is called momovation.com yeah thank you so, so much i had such a great time i've enjoyed seeing, talking to you today
Vital Stories is supported in part by Living Earth Crafts, the world's most recognized manufacturer of spa and beauty salon equipment. Since 1973, LEC has led the way in true product innovation by marrying sustainable manufacturing, comfort, function, and style.